Hey Gleeks, this is Emily and Mandy from Glee on the Rocks, and we have a very important and very special announcement for you. Especially if you like Supernatural. Definitely if you like Supernatural. Um, If you haven't noticed, uh, we have another podcast, and it is Supernatural on the Rocks. Supernatural on the Rocks is our new um, limited series podcast where we talk about the TV show Supernatural. We have a lot of opinions on Supernatural, given that Emily is a long-term fan, and I uh, haven't seen the last 10 seasons, which is continuing the theme of doing podcasts on shows that I haven't seen all of. So it's on brand, on theme and on brand. We thought we would put this first episode of Supernatural on the Rocks into our awesome Glee on the Rocks feed um, for that cross-branding synergy and to see if you guys want to listen. Or start Supernatural and go along with us. Um, This one's going to work a little bit differently. We're doing one season at a time, uh, not one episode at a time. But, you know, just go ahead and binge a whole season of the show so you can listen to our hour and 20 minute long opinions. That is what we're doing. Binge the season, talk about it. Binge the next season, talk about it. It really cuts down on the the time constraints for the listeners. And um, we still have like four and a half seasons of Glee to get through. So this is how we're going to make this work. Um, You can follow us uh, at SPN on the rocks on Twitter and Instagram. And um, if you want to continue supporting us, we're still on Patreon doing what we do. And we'll be back with another episode of actual Glee on the Rocks very soon. And um, that's what you missed on Supernatural. This is Supernatural on the Rocks, a new Supernatural podcast hosted by two of the voices behind Glee on the Rocks. Every episode, we cover a season of Supernatural, digging into the mythology, the characters, and the fandom it left behind. So join us to remember the road that was. I am Emily. And I'm Mandy. Um, And we're taking a hard left from our uh, very first podcast foray that was Glee and remains Glee. And um, we're just going to go hard on Supernatural. So this is our yes, this is our first episode of Supernatural on the Rocks. If you did not hear our um, our little mini episode explaining what this is going to be, we're going to do one episode per season of Supernatural. So fifteen total episodes, making it a limited series. Uh, and then much more limited than our other podcast. Much, much more limited. <laughs> but, much more limited. You know, they're very different monsters. So I think this huh. is... Uh, uh, so this format, I think, is going to work really well for Supernatural. Yes. And because who has the time to do another 22 episodes per season? Not with Supernatural, the show that I still don't entirely believe is off the air. Yes, it's not really, is it? I mean, if it lives on Netflix, it's never really off the air. Yeah, I just, I don't trust it. Nothing in that world stays dead, for one thing. And I believe that probably applies to the show itself. Yes, that does seem to be the case, for sure. 
Um, and we will, we have agreed that we will sprinkle in some extra episodes throughout the series um, of the show and of the podcast when too much is happening in a season that we want to focus on something kind of specific, like the arrival of Castiel. Is what or episodes that kind of pull back the curtain a little on like the fandom side of things or, you know, mm-hmm. actor reactions to things. Um, yes. Those might be their own little episodes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're just going to need more time to talk about the treatment of women in Supernatural. Yeah, because I think we're going to have a lot of opinions on that. Definitely, definitely. Um, we're going to have a lot of opinions on everything. So um, I... I would not say that this is a podcast for people who only love Supernatural and have no criticisms to to say of it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and just you... to, to illustrate that, the perspectives that we're coming from, I was a fan and stopped about five, six seasons in. Mm-hmm. So I've already been down the road of this show is frustrating me too much for a multitude of reasons. I'm going to bow out. Yes. And I watched it all, but very begrudgingly. Yeah. Um, like I would just let episodes pile up and then get to them when I felt like it. So we um, are fans, but critical fans. And I'm sure a lot of different feelings are going to come flooding back to us as we watch. Yes. And we are going to watch a season before we record an episode. So we haven't rewatched anything but season one. So we're going to take it in chunks to give our brains somewhat of the experience of rewatching it live. But, you know, one season at a time. But that doesn't mean we're not going to reference things that happen many seasons apart. Because it once it's in your brain, it can't be forgotten. Except in my case where I definitely didn't watch a good eight, nine seasons of the show. But that was never in my brain to begin with. So a little bit different. So that's fair. Yeah. I think Supernatural is definitely one of those shows that you can not watch eight seasons of a show. And there's still more. There's so many seasons for a a non-scripted um, uh, sitcom. Right? Like it. Yeah. Is it the longest running sci fi show? Like a singular? I forget what the statistic on. I think um, it is. Genre. The only. I think it's the longest running, like, American show that was consecutive. Like, Stargate had multiple shows right. in the same universe, and Star Trek did, but Supernatural? Well, every oh, time yeah. they tried to do a spinoff, it kind of tanked. So. Yes. And we will we will talk about those. Those may be their own episodes too, or are the backdoor pilots. Um, you know, we can talk about what could have been, which will be a theme of this podcast, especially if you've never listened to Glee on the Rocks. The uh, coulda, shoulda, woulda of these shows tends to be um, how we approach um, our methodology of discussion. Yeah, our um, relationship to the text looking at what they did and how we would have fixed it if they just listened to us. We also do not purport to be experts in Supernatural. We um, cannot tell you who the writers were of every single episode. Um, We will have facts when facts are deemed necessary, but often we're 
it's the show unless um such and such writer wrote episode this and also this and that ties these in somehow those are important i think and when they when we catch them we'll talk about them but i don't i don't think that's how we're approaching this podcast no i i would agree unless you are <laughs> no I, I mean i'm definitely again considering i haven't seen you know over half of the show mm-hmm. i'm definitely not going to be keeping up with the minute details like that yes um so a quick history the first season of Supernatural aired on the WB Network, September 13th, 2005. Um, it was one of the shows that moved networks, moved time slots, moved everything during its run. So um, premiered in 2005 with the pilot. The end of the season was May 4th, 2006 with um, Devil's Trap. The original creator, which I'm assuming many of you, the listeners, know, um, is Eric Kripke. So he was showrunner, series creator, executive consultant. We will refer to these people by some version of their name as we remember it. Neither Mandy or I are terribly good with names, I think is safe to say. Yeah. Um, It's not our strong suit. Um, So Eric Kripke... I guess we'll just refer to as Kripke because Eric feels too personal Um, was the showrunner for seasons one through five. He stayed in as a writer EP for seasons six and then became executive consultant from season seven. So like many other long running shows, there's kind of a rotating cast of showrunners, producers, co-producers, EPs, writers, these are all various levels of power in a TV show. And maybe at some point we'll, it might be prudent to get into what those, that hierarchy really is. Um, I know there's a lot of talk in fandom in TV shows about so-and-so made such and such happen in an episode. Like, well, not yeah. necessarily. Um, there are external factors like a network to contend with and what you can and cannot do or say who has final cut um and there's kind of yes half half of us as a podcasting duo have experience with that to some extent so So, (laughs) vague yes um we so yes there is we have some experience with um how these roles play out in a in a tv show and what they mean and and all shows are different but so should we start with the the perceived beginning of the show. Cause I think for me rereading some, well, rewatching it and then reading some old interviews from contemporary interviews from the premiere. Um, I thought there were some interesting, what they thought the show was mm-hmm. versus what the show is, I think is an interesting space. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to say, let's just dive right into that. Cool. So, um, Kripke pitched the story as, quote, Star Wars in a truck stop Americana, um, which is a a quote from USA Today, reputable or not. Um, And he has also said that he wanted to do an anthology show um, and that it was Route 66 meets the X-Files with this great American road trip feeling with these two brothers. 
I feel like um, that part of it does kind of fit with what the show at well, what season one of the show was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, season one, you can somewhere in one of these quotes he said um, Kripke was talking about wanting. Um, if you've ever seen the X File, the uh, which you have, not you, yeah. but the yeah. listeners. Um, they are divided between myth arc episodes that follow this kind of all-consuming plot line, and then there are monster of the week episodes that are um, contained stories in an episode that are more character-driven rather than moving some giant plot ahead. So the genesis of Supernatural seemed, at least on paper, to be this monster of the week style storytelling. Do we think that played out? (laughs) I mean, I think in season one, it played out somewhat well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I personally enjoyed a lot of the monster of the week episodes of season one more than the the, myth arc. Yes, because um, the myth arc is pretty, um, pretty thin. Yeah. When you when you so I I kind of ran through the the first season twice as we were developing the podcast and getting our ducks in a row and it's family loses mom in mysterious way and then tries to figure out what happened. Yeah. It's a fairly That's kind of the the elevator pitch for the the myth storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. If- want to get like into opinions on that right away or you want to wait and like break it down i think we could talk about like the yeah we can talk about like the overriding plot in like broad strokes because it is pretty it's thin it's very thin and i think i didn't remember how thin it was i remembered enjoying a lot of the like horror aspects of it I was a big X-Files fan. I was a big Monster of the Week episode X-Files fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely remember when Supernatural came out, everyone talking about like how genuinely scary it was for a TV show. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely true that the more they get into an arc, the less scary it is. Like, Yes, that was a note that I, I put down is, you know, the creators and showrunners here were really talking about wanting the show to be uh, horror, dark, and scary. Just what you said. And the first co- the first chunk of episodes kind of are like, I think season one episodes may be the most gruesome. Yeah. Of the supernatural episodes, not a lot scares me, so I can't. I don't know that I'm yeah. a good. I'm sort of like I'm. I'm the same way in that, and I actually love horror as a genre. Me too. Um, so episodes like the Bloody Mary one, um, like I enjoyed that, and it it does make me feel kind of disappointed knowing that that's pretty much the peak of the show in terms of like standalone horror episode content. Right. And they sacrifice it more and more for the arc as it goes on. Hmm. Yeah, this this first kind of clump of episodes are pure Monster of the Week X Files style, with the Wendigo, which also shows up yeah. as a monster in the, like straight up an episode in the X Files. Um, Hookman is yeah. just an old myth, which I kind of enjoy. There is that sense of taking the mythology of the United States and turning it into a TV show. 
And I think one issue that we can talk about that pops up later is trying to coalesce all these different fairy tales and hoaxes and rumors into a cohesive storyline rather than these sometimes there's just a scarecrow that comes to life in an apple orchard i don't know like it doesn't doesn't all have to tie back to a greater evil um especially considering and this is the same problem every show like this has you know if you're starting out in season one and you're trying to make it seem like what they're working toward is like the ultimate bad guy Mm -hmm. it's gonna be like a continuing like series of disappointments as you realize like that bad guy it's not quite as strong as the next bad guy who's not quite as strong as the next one and i think supernatural really suffers from that yes yeah yeah it does and it and it does suffer too from the monsters and the bad guys having to the stakes have to keep going up, but the names yeah. of the monsters kind of stay the same. So demons in this these first episodes are um, you have to stand there and do a five minute exorcism over them to get them to leave. And they can only do certain things. They can only travel certain ways. Um and then later on in the episodes, it kind of feels like both Sam and Dean can just like wave their hand and expel a demon from a bad guy. Once they start getting yeah. weapons, they just like stab a demon and it's gone. Like, so they kind of so, rewrite their own rules as they go. Yeah, they do. The The rules of what a, a bad guy is do seem to, to change. Um, and I, I did notice, you know, this first season here rides on vampires as being kind of this like oh vampires do exist which is it's cute and funny when you think about the first season being these kids these guys um following in their father's footsteps out hunting monsters and they're just aghast that a a, um, vampire is real when later on they're like the easiest things to kill well are they well yeah well hmm. it's gonna (laughs) the ending of supernatural for me is honestly gonna be like the epilogue of harry potter where i just deny it exists that's valid that's very valid like i'm sorry 19 years later what i don't understand that page of the book is just gone in my copy i don't recognize its existence so yeah so so the the big the big season one story arc is um, Sam and Dean Winchester, in case anyone has not watched the show, which I cannot imagine has happened. You know, their mother died when Sam was a six month old baby, which turns out to be very important. Although I find it. How do you count exactly six months from someone's birthday? Like how many days is that? Yeah, I don't know. Because that seemed to be very important. It's not important to this podcast, but it seemed very important to the to the show. Um, their mother has died in a supernatural, unexplainable way. It drives their surprisingly attractive father crazy, and he dedicates the rest of his life to tracking down and discovering uh, the things that go bump in the night. And we don't see a lot of what their childhood hood was like we kind of skip from 
that night to what are they 19 20 21 however old they are um throughout this season yeah or, uh dean says he is 26 26 okay yeah. so they're somewhat adults um and dad has gone missing what's the line from the show is dad went on a hunt and he hasn't come back yeah so oh hello other monster of the house you were sleeping and you were supposed to be sleeping ferocious come on in your bed uh, this monster doesn't like closed doors so yeah so um sam and dean then have to or choose to one continue their dad's work of saving people and hunting things um pour a shot for the tropey lines from the show and then also they have to find their dad so those are the driving forces of season one i think yeah and then we have kind of our sidebar of sam wanted to live a normal life as a lawyer with girlfriend dean um apparently was happy just doing whatever daddy told him to do yeah i mean he and, and that's um i don't know a, their personal lives are something that i was like and this is where fan fiction has ruined me because I'm like, if, if you've never listened to one of our podcasts before, we're both into fic. That's yes. going to come up. Um, I definitely found myself as I watched it thinking, okay, but I want to know like what's going through their heads here. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. The jump from Sam lost his girlfriend, left university, dad is missing, like re-entering this world he was trying to escape to Sam shrug, we're hunters now. Seemed very abrupt. Maybe uh -huh. this is like a downside of marathoning it. But it felt like he didn't fight that really hard. And I just keep thinking he left an entire life behind. Yes. I was about that so too. quickly. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe his grades weren't actually that good. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, shit, I gotta go. It was on academic probation anyway. It was yeah. like never not gonna get that next grant money. Mm-mm how did he pay for school how like did he get scholarships like what did he put sure. for his father's job on his fafsa <laughs> i think he put hunter <laughs> um again that's my, like fiction brain thinking okay yeah monsters dead girlfriend everything but like give me what's the process here mm -hmm. yeah what's the um Dean, I think, makes more sense because, as the show points out, he is daddy's perfect soldier. Yes. And he he fears his dad and he worships his dad. Free will is not yet a concept that he is in tune with. He thinks that this is what his life is because it's always been. I mean, his storyline seems really depressing to me in the sense that, like, it's dark in a way the show doesn't acknowledge as being that dark. Like, yes, yes. And, and I think I know you've got like the, the, the fondness for John based on the actor, but. Oh yeah. My fondness for John is purely based on Jeffrey Dean Morgan and has absolutely yeah. nothing to do with that shithole of a dad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was horrible. Like D Dean being left to like basically raise his little brother and also having literally the responsibility of the world on his shoulders, you know, according to what his father expected of him. Like that's yeah. dark. That's some dark shit for like a 
kid slash teenage boy. Especially when it doesn't seem like his dad really told him anything. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty clueless. He's very clueless. Like, he's really just following orders. And it did surprise me when he was like, vampires, those aren't real. Like, didn't you, didn't your dad tell you about these? Like, he obviously knew about them. Well, apparently he journaled everything, but didn't bother to, you know, have conversations with his words. Well, that's, that's the manly thing to do is journal your feelings and not tell them to your son. I just want to know what his like bullet style organizing was because they seem to be able to find literally whatever was in front of them in that book by flipping a few pages. He's got a a, a tag system, you know, he's got sticky notes that stick out that are alphabetized somehow. Color-coded, alphabetized. Yeah. Somehow they can read his dad's handwriting. Yeah, that's another mystery. Yeah, there's many, many mysteries and that is one of them. It, they're sad. Like, yeah. Danny, or Sam's a little kid living in motel rooms, which, I mean, Schitt's Creek told me that that was kind of awesome, but. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they had a David there. They don't seem to have a David there. Well, mm. <laughs> later. <laughs> Half a David. Half a David. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Patrick? Um <laughs> that's not a crossover that really works is it no it's not no wouldn't do that to david and patrick (laughs) no no oh what i was going back a hot second one of the notes i did write down is that john winchester is the captain of the no need to tell people what they actually need to know team which is later led by albus dumbledore oh god yes you're you're very right (laughs) it's the same style of leadership is like don't worry i'll never tell you (laughs) like I don't really care if this child in my care is in peril because of my decisions. It is what it is. And look, they came out okay. They're fine. It's for the greater good. Is it though? Yeah, maybe not. These kids could have died at any time, but they didn't. So it's okay. Mental Uh, health? What is that? They could have just read the book, the diary. Oh god, it's Riddle's diet now. <laughs> There's the crossover. Harry Potter meets. I mean, that Rangers. one would kind of work. Voldemort would fit right in with mm-hmm. their one list of baddies. Honestly, given Voldemort's childhood, I feel like he might sympathize with the Winchesters. Oh, you're right. It's like, oh, your dad too? Mm. So maybe the Winchesters could have turned him around. Or he would have just gone to them and been like, look, this kid is getting into all my shit. This kid is listening to this weird, egomaniacal wizard who's trying to, like, put him in danger constantly. Like, let's get rid of the problem one way or the other. Let's just team up and get rid of the problem. Someone write it. Someone write the fic. Um, So I guess, I mean, we can talk you know obviously we don't have a an outline because that's not how we roll but you know the differences between sam and dean and how that affects their um their reactions to the plot as it unfolds so i had you know dean being not yet believing in free will but that he is still the hyper emotional one of all of them he is and he's I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of probably at this point unintentional like dichotomy in his character. 
Yes. Because he is, and, and I wrote these specific words down, womanizing dismissive. Dismissive yeah. <laughs> of Sam and cowers a lot to their father. So like, mm-hmm. he's very expressive. He's very like easygoing, and I'm saying in air quotes, but mm-hmm. not at the same time. Yes, Kripke was, um, especially early on there, was often calling him the Han Solo to Sam's Luke Skywalker. Hmm. Yeah. And I get what he is saying, and I think it's kind of wrong. I, I would be inclined to say that's wrong. So another quote is from Sarah Gamble, who... Um, I know, I mean, I'm assuming some of you are booing and hissing <laughs> as we say her name. She was a writer, story editor in seasons one and two, became a producer in season three, a showrunner seasons five and six, and then left. Um, word on the street is that Kripke and the other consulting producer, Bob Singer, who was on the show um, the entire time in various roles, worked closely with her to maintain continuity. And she, I think she has a a contentious relationship with the fandom um, based on her perceived treatment of some of the characters, which I think we can get into when it's time to get into that. Um, But a quote that she had about um, some, some blog about writing Dean. And she says, Dean always has a great comeback line, so it's always fun to write him. Dean's introduction to us in the pilot was him hitting on his brother's girlfriend, specifically pointing out her boobs. It set a tone for him that's really fun for me. I think that somewhere inside, I'm a chick, and I've got my inner goth girl and my inner gay guy, and then I have this beer-swilling, cowboy boot-wearing guy all the way underneath all of that, and he gets to come out to write Dean. Mm, I don't like those words. (laughs) <laughs> thoughts please i don't i don't like those words i saw this quote and i was like i have to tell mandy this i don't know i just i aggressively don't like the concept that for one thing and this is just like a fondness for dean in general talking but i don't like distilling him down to that mm-hmm. but i also don't like the idea that that is the vision someone who actually wrote canon dean had in their head <laughs> Yes. Um, that is when I want to say you sit in the corner and I'm taking your toy from you. Uh-huh. <laughs> because you don't appreciate it. If her her vision is a beer-swilling, cowboy boot-wearing guy, I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of Dean. May I direct her to Jared Padalecki in Walker, Texas Ranger? <laughs> <laughs> you may. You may indeed. You'll be um, the only person I know watching it. Sorry, Jared. Not really. Sorry. Sick burn. <laughs> um, but I think I think what is interesting about that quote, too, is that I think it's part of the issue in the fandom of how people see Sam and Dean in the first place. And Dean does appear in the very beginning as this, like, hotshot leather jacket wearing you know, horn dog who thinks yeah. he's smooth as shit. And I kind of get the feeling that Jensen Ackles read that and was like, nah, I not mean, for I, me. 
it definitely like I I haven't rewatched beyond season one, so I can't pinpoint like when I think that actually changes. But I definitely agree. Like him in season one, like as I rewatched, was not really the Dean I remembered. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and again, I did know like womanizing, like kind mm-hmm. of asshole. Um, I. I a little bit accurate for a 26 year old who seems to have extremely stunted emotional growth due to abuse and possibly repair sexuality issues. But I don't think that's how they were playing it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And because, you know, I was trying to combine that with Dean being the most when it comes to his emotions. And, yeah, you know, John Winchester couldn't say he's proud of his sons without them realizing that he was <laughs> a demon. Um, Sam just kind of furrows his brows at people and demands that they tell him the truth about how they're feeling. But he doesn't often do the same. But Dean is the one who said, um, the three of us, that's all we have. That's all I have. Sometimes I feel like I'm barely holding it together. Like, he's willing, even in this first season, to admit that things are hard. And if the writers didn't quite understand that that was an important character piece, yeah. the actor sure did. Because I think what's fun about Dean, and at least for me, is the combination of a highly skilled hunter getting the job done plus someone who deeply loves scooby-doo yeah you know that is that is a very um not only is it a like fun character trait like he Mm -hmm. he makes scenes more fun Um, and i like i can see how writing his dialogue is enjoyable um Mm -hmm. because it especially stands out in comparison to sam who is not very fun no I mean, sad sack. In this season, like it makes sense. He just like lost his girlfriend. You know, he went along on the hunting that he didn't really want to do. Mm-hmm. He also just seems pissed off to be there most of the time. So the levity that Dean brings is really nice, especially in some of the deeper arc episodes. Yes, yes, for sure, and kind of this like incredulity about what is even going on in the world, like monsters. It's like yeah, fucking monsters. There's fucking monsters out there, which Sam is, you know, doesn't seem to impress him in the same way, I think. So with Sam, he um, is also a bit of a Mary Sue who has special powers. How do we feel about these special powers in, in season one here? I mean, like, I'll be honest, I I've seen season one. I've probably seen it. I think this was my third time watching it. Cause like back when I was into the show, I do know I was like catching up with a friend and I rewatched it all. So I've seen this entire thing twice over. This was my third time. I forgot Sam even had powers. So that's yes. how much I focused in on it. Apparently the first couple of times. And you know, that could have been really kind of fucking interesting because we know there are witches and we meet a really cool one later and we know that there are demons like other people have supernatural powers these special children of uh what azazel azaziel whatever his name is yeah i have no idea how to um you know it's built in from the very beginning 
that they exist and that there's a bunch of them and that something nefarious is going down, uh, why the fuck not give Samson powers? Yeah. yeah. I, I I think they tested it and then pulled back on it is how it felt to me. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think so because I don't remember it being, unless I'm just forgetting, I don't remember it being a big plot point later on. It does. It comes up later and we can get there. Um, and then there's stuff that happens with him, like drinking demon blood and going soulless and all this stuff that, um, takes Sam down the, um, the hurt comfort rabbit hole or the, or the whoopee, right? Like he just gets shit on left and right. Um, but then does seem to be, and I'm, I am also forgetting and forgive us, uh, listeners who, have the entire show indexed in their brains. Congratulations to you. I mean, part of the fun for anyone like that should be listening to us rediscover it as we watch each season. Right. And yelling at us going, obviously yeah. it was X, Y, and Z. Like, okay, we know, but we yeah. forget we're old. And you are going on this rewatch with us. Yes. You have to rediscover this shit at the same time. So yes. deal. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Would you... If thinking about where we are right now in the end of season one, would you have liked Sam's psychic powers to progress and be a major part of his character? I think it probably would have been a little more interesting, but I, I, at this point in the show, I don't feel an emotional attachment to Sam at all anyway. So no, I kind of feel did. like it could have only gotten better. Mm-hmm. It, I'm of two minds with characters who have powers, and it's why I can do another mini episode of Stuff We Hate on superheroes <laughs> um, and my intense dislike of them. Mm-hmm. And and it is an issue that I'm going to have later on in the show is once death no longer means anything. They definitely um, leaned in hard to the sci-fi dead concept. Yes, and I I think that that is problematic in shows that run for 15 seasons, is that now, once death doesn't mean anything, you have to raise the stakes some way else. Some way else? Some other way. And you have to keep doing that. Like, if you you hit the point where death means nothing by season eight, then what the fuck is happening by 15? Right, right, yeah. What do you, apparently, what you have to do is kill God. (laughs) Which, I mean... So yeah. what? They've killed gods before. Yeah. It does. And maybe that's another little episode we touch on at some point is that it does lean hard into the Judeo-Christian worldview and religion where other gods are killed and are characters in the show, but they don't have the same uh, authority. Yeah. I I kept up with Supernatural through like, fandom osmosis for years and Mm -hmm. i have to say one of the reasons even after you know certain things were resolved that i never like came back to watch it again is the hard turn into like judeo-christian mythology yes beginning season what four with the arrival of an angel and you know that well i could let them slide on but that's that no (laughs) yeah no i agree because um there was something kind of interesting in these early seasons about the lack of religion and that morality comes from other sources. When you don't have an overriding deity, your morality has to come from within. 
and your own choices and once you stick a god in and especially when the entire back half of the series is about free will or no no free will then it's like well what other choices matter at all yeah um and that is actually something that sarah gamble said at some point um in an article uh the article was actually titled is supernatural for atheists and um she says we've been careful to leave room for agnosticism when we talk about god there's no direct line to answers about his existence at least not in the first four seasons and in my mind there's been lots of room for atheists to stay on board first of all no one's trying to convince you of anything we're just here to entertain you second even if some of the angels doubt oh even some of the angels doubt god's around so join the club I think at the end of the day, we're trying to tell a story about humanism. And humanism is a word that shows up a couple times in these interviews. Um, we come out suspicious of organized anything. We're for individuals with balls and a strong moral center telling bureaucrats from heaven and hell to fuck off. That's where the fun is. Okay. Okay. But that's, that's not the rest of the show. Yeah. I and, mean, and Yeah. And then honestly, if you have angels, you have God. That's where angels come from in mythology and religion. So like, you can't really say, well, even though we have angels, uh, they doubt God's around. Like, okay, one does and he gets thrown into hell, which also requires the existence of heaven. So <laughs> so it seems disingenuous to me to make that kind of an argument. Um, I think it would have been an interesting show if they had stayed away from that much god yeah i mean that would have been more interesting because they do at a point sacrifice the monster of the week stuff almost Mm -hmm. entirely right yeah yeah they do um i mean there's some i'm trying to remember and and honestly it seems like the the episodes that take over the monster of the week slots become goofy Mm -hmm. um well i guess like the french mistake and the you know these different the musical episode and stuff like that and the scooby-doo episode (laughs) but there there are some monster of the week but they and i'm trying to remember too they they do seem to tie more strongly to the main plot we'll worry about season season five later (laughs) stick to season one here as best we can um another section that we can talk about are just like the bad guys in general yeah that would be good because i definitely had some thoughts on some of them please share all right um meg first of all Mm -hmm. like i kind of went into it like with the predisposition that i would like most of the female characters Mm. I immediately started seeing the issues with Meg. Like, I don't, I don't know. She was somehow both like an underwhelming baddie, but also like immediately her plot was hitting on Sam. Yeah. I, yeah. I always have that issue too. When a, a, a woman enters a script breasts first. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, they're already making this a little bit hard for me. Um, yeah. But, they balance that out very well with Missouri, who, uh, like, I adore. I love her. And I wish that I had more than two female characters to give opinions on. Cough, cough, supernatural. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, because everyone else are uh, episode characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I am talking right now in terms of like characters with a little bit of staying power. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because there were some some good like single episode one off characters, but yeah. Well, you know who does come back in the last season? <laughs> well, I can think of one. Uh, vampire friend there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Put a thing on. <laughs> it didn't happen. Um, yeah. Um, the the big baddie was again. I don't know how to pronounce the name either. As Azizel. Azazel. Azazel. Um. Yeah. It's not like they said it a million times in the show, and I just can't wrap my brain around it. Yellow eyes. Yes. Um. I like the note I made as I was watching it was like not bad for a first season baddie. Mm. But so I don't think that I felt the stakes as strongly as the show was supposed to like have you feeling them, which is the problem with a rewatch in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know in a couple of years, this doesn't mean shit, but you know, it was sort of, sort of Buffy syndrome where like, I was just start, thinking of that. Yeah. Um, but not like I understood the purpose of him. I still think it's weird that like this was the overarching bad guy, um, like demon in John Winchester's life for twenty one years, twenty years. How old Sam? Yeah. Um, and underwhelming from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Not actually that scary. No, and it it doesn't help. Yeah, I, I don't think it helps that we see him as John Winchester. We only see yellow eyes in the bodies of people he's possessing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I also wrote down that yellow eyes is Jeffrey Dean Morgan's audition for Negan on Walking Dead. <laughs> oh, I can see it. Yeah, uh, Negan. Negan was a fucking badass. The Winchester should have been Negan. I was gonna say if Negan was the big bad in season yeah. one. Well, say goodbye, Dean Winchester. Absolutely. Now that would have been very interesting to watch. I wish Jeffrey Dean Morgan had been allowed. Okay, I even wrote this. Um, this is skipping around a little bit. I wrote that I would categorize John Winchester as a bad guy in this season. Yeah. He does nothing but disrupt their lives negatively. They have emotional attachment to him. They don't want him to die. He's their dad. But he does nothing but derail good things in their life. And then show flashbacks to him being a neglectful father. Yes. He even takes their college money. Yeah. And I think that's part of why the, the end like showdown didn't resonate emotionally for me is because I was like, I think they'd be better off if they just let these two guys take care of each other. Yes. So, so Dean, especially was like we have got to save dad that was his driving force through a lot of these episodes was saving dad like i think if if um sam had never if john winchester had died sam would have been fine he would have been like well that sucks but uh might have actually gotten some closure seen a therapist going back to university had you know you know a life yeah and you know maybe the the supernatural shit would have caught up with him eventually being one of the special children or whatever 
Um, but Dean was like, everything stops until we get him back. Like everything, like you're willing to do this. Yeah. Dean was raised to think there is nothing else besides what daddy tells you to do. And yes. And it's not even family. It's what dad says. It's because John was always saying, you know, you do this for your brother and we do it for family. Like, well, it's really more about you do what I say. Also, what is, what does family do for you? What is, what is family doing for Dean? Nothing. Nothing. Literally a, nothing. A single can of SpaghettiOs is what they're doing for Dean. And then he, like, shows up to visit his brother. And Sam, like, emphatically does not want to see him. Yeah. After, like, Dean basically raised him. Like, I do get, like, Sam as, like, a... I'm assuming he's supposed to be, like, 21 or 22. Something like that. Yeah, because he's graduating college. Yeah. Um, like, I kind of get it from Sam's perspective. But also, like just want to shake Dean and be like care more about yourself than this yes yes do you for once go to a spa and it is like it's an interesting difference in Sam and Dean that Sam had the ability to walk away from all that and go to college and like I have to think he only did it because he was still in every situation the kid in the family whereas Dean didn't really get to be the kid he had the pseudo parent yep pseudo parent brother um money earner as jensen ackles um which i you know i think we can bring fandom and i I think the text can include what the actors have said about their characters because you're you're playing that yeah Um, but jensen ackles has said that his head canon is that um sometimes dean winchester uh uh, prostituted himself for money. Is that the right terminology? Was a yeah sometimes sex worker for um, groceries, and that's damaging and disturbing for a teenager. And that's yeah, that's part of the like untapped darkness of season one. Have you seen on Tumblr um, mm-hmm. the HBO Supernatural stuff that goes around now? I have not. So there's um, a couple blogs that are doing kind of some like rewrites and retellings of what if Supernatural had been on a network like HBO from the beginning. Oh, wow. So it's like Dean Winchester with just scars, uh, Remus Lupin style across his face and tapping into the darkness that is hinted at but never explored, Mm -hmm. including teenage dean winchester having to blow truckers at truck stops to get grocery money because dad's been gone for two weeks which i think could have been a different show but kind of yeah i mean it's depressing it's yeah it is (laughs) and i'm just gonna assume that happened i mean like you said we can fold um especially with this show these actors played these characters for a hell of a long time. I feel like they get some ownership of them. That's definitely how I feel about it is once you've been this person mm-hmm. for 15 plus years, like, you know who this character is and you put, which, you know, can kind of dig into bisexual Dean Winchester too. Like you, you develop facets of a character beyond what's on the page. You know, the yeah. script, the, uh, the script is not going to say, uh, Dean Winchester looks at so and so with abject longing and a slight 
twerk of his eyebrow to end you know it just says like he looks at so-and-so yeah and then the actor is going to interpret that the rest of the way mm-hmm. yep so you know i think i think the development that we see especially in dean and you know apologies to sam winchester and also to padalaki but like we're not sam girls no and, um that's maybe going to be apparent in that I think sometimes a lot of our analysis might hinge on Dean and then in relation, Sam, but that's, yeah. And I don't know how that's going to change for me. Mm -hmm. There are plots I don't know about. I'm very intrigued by the idea of Sam being like the the baddie, um, which I think again, Tumblr osmosis, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure happened at some point. Mm-hmm. Pretty mm-hmm. They're all the bad guys at some point. They all get a turn on that, like, yep. Mary Brown. Um, so I'm like, I'm intrigued by that. I'm not writing Sam off entirely, but definitely judging it season by season in right. season one, not, not feeling it nearly as much. He's just, he's less interesting in the same way that Luke Skywalker is less interesting than Han Solo. Yeah. Sorry, Luke. Like, oh. Luke gets interesting in seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. Um, I will give Jared some credit. I think he was a better actor than Jensen for the first season, at least the first half of the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I'll and allow Jared, it. Yeah. Jensen picks it up, but like in the first, I don't know, half dozen episodes at least, like I definitely went my way through a few scenes. Mm-hmm. That, that's reading off the sheet. Let's Let's not do that, buddy. Right. Let's uh, let's learn the lines ahead of time. Let's read off book. It's got to be hard. You know, you're getting the feeling of it. Yeah. And Jared had just come off of another long running, you know, long enough running show. So I feel like he had more experience. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to not make excuses for Jensen. It's just my opinion that Jared was a better actor, which kind of is even worse about the fact that I didn't feel as emotionally attached to him. That's bad writing, man. You know, I'm I'm putting that on the writing, not on Jared. Yeah, definitely. That's just some straight up bad writing. Which is, you know, a shame. But, uh, you know, a lot of... (laughs) I was thinking of... There's a post or a meme or God knows a tweet. Who even knows anymore about... Oh, yeah, you know, this, uh, this, this show is really great. You just have to get past the first 45 episodes and then it really kicks in. Of... It takes time for episodes to find their legs and their voice. And sometimes it takes a little longer for episodes Mm -hmm. to, and for actors in the same vein to shake off the, the nerves, I would think. Yeah. And And this is a big show for the network. I'm also judging it, I guess a little bit um, as far as Jensen goes, because I've definitely, um, I don't know, around, I'm going to say election week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> watching some season 15 stuff i didn't watch any full episodes but the the difference in the depth of that man's ability to act out some emotional stuff from there to season one i was just like oh that's a that's a you know some someone definitely honed his skill over the years someone grew up a bit yeah someone grew up a bit yes yes agreed um some changes between season one and season 15 yeah i did write that dean sort of dies in the end of season one and the finale finale. like key things in the uh first season that happen 
we have the cult as being our, um, I don't know, our plot device. Um, it's not quite a MacGuffin, but so, so, um, near the, really near the end of the season here, we find out that there is a magical, uh, object in the world of supernatural called the cult. I believe it shows up for the first time in episode 20, which is the third to the last episode of the season. And it's, you know, Haley's comet is overhead. It's the night of the Alamo Colt made this gun with 13 bullets for a hunter and those bullets can kill anything. Well, here's my question. Is it the gun or the bolts or the, the bullets that can kill anything? I don't know if it's the bullets, dude, why the hell didn't you just like make a few cases of those? That was my question. Like really only 13. Like, yeah. does that seem like a reasonable number of bullets? Yeah. So they, um, this, this gun that can kill, anything seems like a highly valuable (laughs) object in this universe and it does kind of start the series long introduction of mystical magical items that just happen to appear when they're needed or lost when they're needed yeah and i it's hard to it's hard to rank on those because how else is a show like supernatural going to stay interesting like well of course we're gonna need angel blades and demon blades and all this kind of shit but then when it gets into like the first blade i get a little (laughs) i know i want four seasons of sam and dean in a library reading through every book before one of them finds something that might halfway work that they have to google Mm -hmm. and find context for just like realism all the way no um you're right they they need some things like that they're out in the desert very slowly unearthing something buried in time (laughs) like yeah that's riveting tv i think um yeah but you know they they use the gun on that random ass vampire and then they're worried about wasting another bullet on something else like well isn't how is this vampire worth a bullet when we know what else is out there, but but in season one, there isn't anything else out there, I guess. It makes them seem like very beginner level hunters. Yeah. To look like, at what they are considering the worst now and what's to come. Yeah, it's like, do other hunters hear about, like, oh, did you hear Sam and Dean use the, uh, the cult on a vampire? Noobs. So yeah, it just kind of, these these mystical objects just kind of played into this issue of raising the stakes in a, in a series that goes on for so long. But I also think when you're writing a series, you can't possibly know how long you have to tell your story. That's true. How long were they originally planning on it going? Five seasons? Six? I honestly don't know. That can be something we Google, but I don't know what the original series order was for i'm assuming just the first you know season by season for a while i I thought and this this may just be like i read it on tumblr have zero source for it but i thought (laughs) i saw someone say that like the the original writer's goal was like a five six season mark that makes sense i think to me anyway that that makes sense of how long you think you can get a show to to last on a network 
Um, Especially, I mean, like even on CW, which is known for like giving it shows a more decent run than a lot of other networks would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The right thing. I almost said the WB. It hasn't been the WB in a while. I found out that only the first season was on the WB. Oh, wow. Because then it it changed that early, but it's other. um, I just dated myself then. (laughs) It changes uh, time slots. Okay. Yeah. It's the only season to not use Carry On Wayward Son in the finale. Um, It's the only season to feature a Wendigo, a Rawhead, a Striga, and a Davis on screen. So some of these kind of old school, um, what is the word I keep trying to think of? It was also the name of a movie. Like, urban Legends. Urban Legends. Yeah. You. Um, these early seasons really hit these Urban Legends really hard. And then it's like they run out of them, which is fair. That... I mean, maybe we should blame the movie franchise. They really should have just kept going and then Supernatural would have had more to pull from. They would, they would have found other um, yeah. other ones to get. Yeah. So yeah, so that's <laughs> um, also I know that this was early on. I don't know if it was just season one, but the car later becomes known like universally as baby, but it was it was definitely the metallic car early on. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, for sure. That's more of a like fandom reference thing than like actual show fact, but yeah. Yep. The car um is now more of a love object than just a utilitarian vehicle. I had kind of forgotten that Dean got chastised for not taking care of the car. Yeah. Um, which I actually thought was kind of cute. At least they, he starts washing her after this. I appreciate that. Um, Cause it did, it does make me think of yeah. you know, the big bads and what they, the escalation of them. And that was, that was a lot of the format for shows like this at the time, like from X-Files to, there were other shows during that period of time that kind of ran along the same way, like a mix of like myth and monster of the week or like standalone plot if it wasn't quite that, you know, the like Buffy, Angel. um, Oh my God, why can't I remember any TV shows now? You know what? I tried to make a list of shows that I thought were contemporary while Supernatural was on, and I just hit blanks left and right. I was like, was that on at the same time? I don't remember. Um, There was an interesting article in USA Today um, that was kind of like a season one wrap-up from a critic, and it was talking about how, at this time, horror was super big. So mm-hmm. there was The Ring, The Village, The Grudge all made more than $100 yeah. million at the box office. The WB Entertainment president at the time who said that the horror audience was more female-driven than male and that, that mm-hmm. they would flock to a horror series, giving it breakout potential. So, Okay, so I'm, I'm going to go like, I, this was bugging me so much that I had a list of shows in my head earlier. And then when I started saying <laughs> that sentence, I couldn't remember them. Okay, so Charmed, um, Roswell, they were all like sort of supernatural-ish mm-hmm. type of shows that had that like monster of the week that they would fight. And then also slow building arcs. And Smallville was on at the same time, which was sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Vampire Diaries came along, I think a few years later. Um, but yeah, that type of show was pretty common. It was. Yeah, definitely. There were other new shows 
on the schedule at the time, including ABC's Invasion and Night Stalker, CBS's Hmm. Threshold, and NBC's Surface, which were mystery and monster. Um, You'll notice none of those shows lasted very long. I mean, and I want to say that's because they didn't have Kripke, which I'm not saying he's a perfect showrunner, but like he did have a very strong resume for that. He did, yes. And I, I think he did have a fairly strong vision once the show got going but i was a little shocked and a little aghast um about like the development of supernatural and what the pitch session was like (laughs) and he is talking in this um this article about the pitch session for the studio and he says it's sort of funny how it all worked out I literally had scribbled the idea in a notebook the day before my meeting with the studio. And then I came into the studio and had pitched them my reporter idea, which is um, this story about a reporter who works for a tabloid magazine kind of a thing. Um, And he says, and they didn't like it. They said, what else do you got? I didn't have anything. So I tap danced and said, well, I got this great idea about two brothers on a road trip. They loved it. And it ended up being the show. So it's funny how that works out. And I was like, oh, my God. You know how long writers work on their pitch sessions and their pitch documents? And he just walked in with a note that he wasn't even going to pitch to these studio execs and got a show like, ah, (laughs) but, you know, he wasn't an unknown at the time either. Because I, yeah, I definitely know one of the reasons I gave Supernatural a chance is because I was missing the X Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Me too. That was my bread and butter. Was the X Files? Yeah. Which, if you've never seen, go fucking watch it. And if you want, we'll give you like a list of episodes in each season to watch, so you don't have to watch the whole thing. But or stay tuned for after Supernatural on the rocks for our next one. X-Files on the Rocks. Stay tuned for X-Files on the Rocks, where uh, I talk about how the ghost stole Christmas for 87 minutes. And I just talk about that one scene on the um, Bermuda Triangle where they're dancing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That. And I do the entire dialogue from Bad Blood. I feel like we could go on just doing this for the last podcast. <laughs> I uh, I think the X Files is like the one show that I can name episode titles with yeah. confidence. I can, yeah. I mean, for the shipper episodes, definitely. Because mm-hmm. I have clear favorites in each season, and I guess that I'm gonna give this a segue. That leads me to I think Faith was my favorite episode from this season. Hmm. Explain. Um, <laughs> So, um, I thought it was an interest, I thought it had an interesting bit of storytelling where, you know, it's a new show, you don't super know yet who can live and who can die. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning of super, in the beginning of Faith, which I think is one of the first episodes from Supernatural that starts in the middle of a hunt and not with... Oh, yeah. Um, Characters we're never going to see again dying. (laughs) So it starts with Sam and Dean on a hunt that we learn nothing about. Like, it has nothing to do with the episode, which I often enjoy as a trope. Where what you're getting is, like, this is what 
the day-to-day grind is. And by accident, or I don't know, divine intervention, um, depending on your views on Chuck, um, Dean is electrocuted enough that it causes permanent and incurable heart damage, and he is going to die. And I just thought it was interesting for the show to bring in one of the main characters potentially dying so early on. Both, it was like a, it it was knowing that he wasn't going to, not quite remembering how they get past it, and trying to remember what it would be like for a casual viewer to see that. Because, you know, he gets electrocuted and you cut to black for the commercial break. And then you come back and he's like in a hospital getting terrible news and you don't yet know what to believe from the show of whether or not he's going to be okay. Like, we don't yet know that yeah. death means nothing to the Winchesters, um, which will become a and grudge. Fair, I don't, they don't know it either, so that right. makes yes. the response a little more valid. It does, which is why I liked Dean's response so much was he it was his macho versus his emotional response. He was cracking jokes, but was uh, like, he knew he was going to die. And his, his mood about it and his um, go on without me kind of a, um, a take on it. I thought was interesting because you're right. He didn't know he wasn't going to die. Yeah. hadn't yet befriended um, every supernatural creature on Earth that could resurrect them at will. Um, and I, you know, kind of gonna gonna have a problem referencing the X Files every time, but kind of like yeah. the Faith Healer episode there of the role of religion and the role of faith healing and how it can hurt people. Um, <laughs> unless you believe in faith healing but um you know trying to both trying to figure out like ooh, what's the mystery behind this and how is he doing it and maybe we're gonna find something about religion and, and supernatural versus someone doing something uh destructive because someone's life has to be exchanged for someone else's so there i i appreciated a little moral question in and especially with Dean not wanting to trade someone's life for his own. I, yeah, I wrote two notes about this episode um, as I was watching it. And the first one was very X Files. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like plot, which made me laugh when you said you're going to have issues not referencing the X Files. And the second one was Final Destination. So I, I, you can also see the pull from like contemporary horror movies mm-hmm. here. Yep. Yep. Um, which I like, like, I, I did like the episode. Um, I felt like the heart attack thing was a little bit hokey, but also it worked mm-hmm. for, you know, the purpose of the episode. Mm, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It was also kind of like an old man um, injury, you know, being yeah. laid up with, with heart damage. And I think that's like, I, I don't know. It was unexpected mm-hmm. in a way that as I like, I mean, this was my reaction as the episode went on. I was like, really? Heart trouble? Really? <laughs> yep. Um, but then, like, it made sense as you uncovered, like, the plot. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
yep. And, um, you know, we got a Buffy alum in, in there. A Buffy Dexter alum, I guess. Who is that? The, the woman. I um, can't remember her name in the episode, actually. The character is Layla. What? Julie Benz. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've... A young Julie Benz. Yeah. She was very young in that. Wow. Yes. She, she played Darla for anyone who was not a Buffy. And then uh, moved on to Angel. Reprising as Darla. Also in Dexter. Um, but yeah, so if we're talking favorite episodes, yes. I actually wrote down that the episode I enjoyed the most, because I thought about judging it on like what I felt had the most impact on the season, but mm. in the end, I picked the one I liked most. Mm-hmm. The one I and was like, I want to watch that again, and that was Providence. Oh, okay. Cool. I liked the plot. It was creepy. It pulled me in. Like, I was genuinely interested. Um, I liked the effects. Creepy kids. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Creepy images. It works for me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I just like there was nothing about it that I like could find any fault with. I <laughs> enjoyed it. Okay. Um, and it is it was a like very monster of the week. Yeah. But and it came towards the end of the season, so I think part of it was that I felt like everything had kind of hit a good stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Sam and Dean in general, like the acting. <laughs> Sorry, Jensen. Hey, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that one. That was a good one. You know, creepy kids crawling out of paintings. Like, yeah. yes, absolutely. Like, I, I wish Supernatural had kept that, like, vibe in at least a couple of episodes a season. And maybe they did. I don't remember what was in season two or three or four, except for Cass. <laughs> um, but, no. yeah, I, I liked that vibe as a one-off episode. It was a good vibe. I'm trying to remember if I don't think there was anybody else who stuck around. You know, they end on these characters who are like, hey, we'll see you next time we come through. Like, it would have been nice to actually catch up with some of these people. Yeah. Um, the fact that the show is sort of built on the premise that there is a whole network of hunters, I felt like was underutilized. Like, well, and yes. A network of hunters, like, did no one, I mean, John in Missouri clearly had something going on um, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, mutual support. But um, I don't know. Was there no one else that could be like, hey, let's uh, let's hit the books on this bad guy. Let's figure this out. You don't actually have to do this alone, John Winchester. You don't yeah. actually have to bring your kids into it. Like, let someone babysit them for a while. We'll take care. Yeah. Yeah. Which exactly. Which is why the fandom really clings to the roadhouse as a a Mm -hmm. meeting spot or like a clubhouse something that you you know what if you did have kids and you were a hunter you could like drop them off at the roadhouse and they'd be safe and you know call up if you need help and it definitely would have because I don't I genuinely don't think that the show meant for John Winchester to be such a bad guy yeah I get that yeah at this point I don't know maybe later on it's a little more but, but I got the impression watching it that we were supposed to sympathize with Dean and think family is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think if that's they true. wanted, if they wanted that, they like literally would have been just as easy as like showing John being like, Hey kids dropping you off here. Like not leaving you alone in a motel room with a can of spaghetti. <laughs> right. And so we're going to leave you at a bar, but you know what? It's a safe bar. Yes. It's safe. Yeah. I, 
I think that could have, I mean, and they try, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, they, I gotta get rid of that. What do you mean? What do I mean? Um, I think the backdoor pilots for Wayward Sisters and what was the other one called? I can't remember what the other one's called, but I think those tried to piggyback off of this idea of the network of hunters around the country, but they never, they could have set it up in season one, but there is this yeah. big network of hunters and that we get more time yeah. to like them. Because if thinking about some of these side characters, like you could have put Missouri in uh, 10 episodes a season and I would have been fine. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. I would have loved that. Bring her back all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the characters that they do bring back. Um, oh my God, why am I blanking on all of their names now? Joe, the Harvell, um, like oh, Jody Mills yeah. and Joe Harvell. And, you know, they're, they could have existed the whole time and Ellen and, you know, but they, they just go away and they come back only when they're absolutely necessary so that we could have four white dudes on screen. And yeah. like their adopted daughters that show up, <laughs> like, you know, Claire, you know, could have been, could have been somebody. But yeah, it, do, it does seem like there was a missed opportunity for this uh, found family of hunters instead of relying on the concept that people are going to be so into two brothers, because some of us aren't. And I, yeah, I mean, I think it could have been wholesome without actually detracting from the gravity of like the evil shit they're trying to like conquer sure yeah i mean they there's goofy fucking episodes the whole time you can have uh, these found family moments without killing the vibe yeah i do not vibe with this um overall impressions it definitely left me wanting to like hurry on to season two okay like i remember why i liked the show okay that's good I agree, especially because I, when I had it up on Netflix, it rolled into season two, episode one, and I just kept watching. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just kept, I was like, oh, wait, this is not the end of season one. Hold on. I got to go back. Um, which is good if you're a binge watcher. Yeah. So no, no spoilers for season two, episode one there, but, um, it does pick up. Picked. start watching tomorrow i know it picks right back up um yeah. i think unlike um our our glee podcast i think we are not gonna have a set of indices it's no uh, it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure and also a constant like rotating cast of characters makes that a little bit easier yes um as i said before we started i i did think of the word a flannelometer or how much flannel exists in the show per season um but you know what you know what we should do with that um we should make that an instagram special where we just like rank our favorite flannels from the season yes in instagram Mm -hmm. post i think so by the way follow us on social media because we have that yes um the plug that we should have done an hour ago is that we have separate accounts for supernatural on the rocks which is at spn on the rocks for both twitter and instagram um this will be going up on anchor so distribution will go out to apple and amazon 
and Stitcher and Overcast and Pocket Tune and Spotify. And if you somehow listen to your podcast on another uh, platform, we'll put it there too. And um, this, we, we did already say this, but this is a limited series. Um, yes. There are only, only 15 seasons. Um, we will probably do more than 15 episodes just to cover some of those things um, that we want to get a little more in depth on without every episode being three hours. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but this will have an end, unlike Glee on the Rocks. And unlike the show itself. Yeah. But if you have specific things you think would be interesting for us to cover in a longer form episode, uh, drop us a message and let us know. Yeah, definitely. Um, If you have any interest in supporting us, um, we're just going to roll this into our Glee on the Rocks Patreon account because that's just easier for everyone involved. Um, So if if you subscribe there, any if we do any special special eps for eps (laughs) episodes for supernatural on the rocks you'll get those as well and if you want to listen to like our back catalog of glee mini episodes feel free um we also already have some patreon content for supernatural um because prior to this podcast we did an episode on dean and cass oh yes um we oh my god we have so many um yeah. we we have a limited uh mini series uh, mini episode mini series called that's my ship um where we choose and it, our- it is patreon exclusive yes but but it is about supernatural and it is yeah. about dean and Cass, and it is an hour of us talking about them so i feel like that's up your alley yeah but otherwise um all of the other like little special things like women in supernatural and things will just be extra put out like regular episodes you won't have to pay for those if we do anything special it'll be smaller yes um not quite as significant topics like maybe a different set of ships who knows Uh, not that i have any but you know we'll see so um unless you have any final words nope (laughs) nope i expressed all of my thoughts um spilled them forth um so thank you for listening to our first episode of supernatural on the rocks this has been season one of supernatural and if you aren't tired of hearing us say the word supernatural you will be eventually thank you for (laughs) that's what you missed on supernatural um we haven't yet figured out how we're going to kick off these episodes or end them so um thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time 